We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome on in. This is the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast for NFL Week 12. Coming at you a little bit early this week with the holiday in mind. We got a bunch of Thanksgiving games to get to in addition to the rest of the slate. So without further ado, let's get the show on the road. Welcome on in. This is the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast for Tuesday, November 22nd. I'm your host, John McKechnie. That's Mario Puig. Uh, again, this podcast presented by our friends over at No House Advantage. Uh, Mario, uh, before we get rolling here, we I don't want to spend too much time on the generic, uh, do you like turkey, do you not like turkey, Thanksgiving stuff. But what I do want to know, and I'm ripping this idea off completely from a show I was on earlier in the day for for Monkey Knife Fight, and that is simply this. Of the six coaches that will be coaching on Thanksgiving Day, which one would win in a turkey-eating contest? Mike McCarthy. That's a great guess. Um, We ended up going... it's, It's not even a question. It's either him... Or Man Campbell and and Man, not so much utilizing like his storage space as much as just like tapping into psychotic berserker energy to stuff as much as necessary for victory. But it's those two. There's there's no third like contender. Uh, th- those were the the main contenders for for us as well. I think the competition element. Uh, makes me lean towards Dan Campbell, but in sh- in terms of just sheer uh, volume uh, in which uh, turkey could be stored, yeah, McCarthy's got the lead. Dable closing in on him a little bit. That that guy is enjoying his free dinners, I think, a little Dable, bit. But Dable is a good, uh, I, I think, relative to McCarthy, upset candidate. But yeah, uh, I can't see Dable beating Man Campbell. I can see maybe McCarthy beating Campbell, but not. Dable, uh, although D- Dable does match McCarthy in terms of just like raw storage space. Yes, uh, I, I feel like McCarthy wins it, um, but it, it's kind of like the steak eating contest that that Homer gets into in The Simpsons against Red, the truck driver, where Red finishes it, but he's also like Red uh, dies, expired at the table. Yeah, uh, but <laughs> I don't think that. Uh, uh, I think Kevin O'Connell might might fill up on bread like Homer did uh, in in that one and just not get it done. Yeah, I don't I don't think O'Connell has much of a shot. I think he'll uh, 
I don't know, maybe in like 10 years. After he's been fired three times and hired again three times, maybe maybe then. Perhaps, perhaps, but certainly not this year. But why don't we go ahead, let's dig right in to the Thursday slate of games. We'll kick things off in Detroit uh, with the Lions playing host to the Buffalo Bills, who actually were just there this past weekend with that game being moved and us being robbed of watching football in six feet of snow, but alas, uh, we've got the Lions checking in as 10-point underdogs at home in this one. Uh, your thoughts on, on this game and, and you know, what, what are you looking for from a, from a fantasy perspective, especially considering, you know, the Lions, they, they won the two games against the, the beleaguered Packers and a Bears team that can't stop anybody, but this past weekend going into the Meadowlands and, and beating the, the Giants pretty soundly, I'm not saying that the that the Lions have a good chance of winning this one outright, but it does make me feel like this number might be a little bit high. Yeah, it's tough. Um, I mean, in the event that you have a game where the, the Bills are functioning like they're expected to, I guess they would probably cover that pretty easily. It's like the, the question is whether they're quite that fine-tuned, especially on a short week. Uh, especially after so many weird things going on with their scheduling and you know, travel going into this week, I have no idea what a fair expectation would be, but uh, baseline, you know, function for these respective teams. I think that the bills do cover that. It's just, uh, yeah. In, in addition to all the, the travel quirks, it's like what, what's even going on with Josh Allen, who knows what his elbows actual state is. I mean, he, he clearly can like rip, some of those throws that, you know, most of the throws that he usually does, it's just maybe he takes like a little more reload time in between plays than usual. And if, if so, it's not like he's going to tell us that. So it's, it's hard to know what exactly he's dealing with and, and um, you know, how much, how much the Lions defense needs Allen to, to lose something on his fastball to, to actually gain anything. Cause the, the, the Lions pass defense is so bad. I, I just don't know if it really matters. It's like Josh Allen at 75% might still be enough to kind of just dominate them from, you know, pretty much start to finish. So uh, with, with the Bills defense also being very good, even home Jerry Goff is at pretty substantial risk here. So uh, I don't know. I, I'd call the Bills to cover it, I guess. And, and uh, I guess what I'm assuming there too is the Bills run defense uh, kind of steps up a little bit. Um I know Jamal Williams is peeling off a lot of touchdowns lately, but he, he doesn't actually threaten that much from scrimmage. So I think that's mostly just kind of like a, a reflection of like the, the field positioning that the lines have had. And in this game, I doubt they'll have such great uh, field positioning. So I, I guess, uh, yeah, I, c- I could see a number of things kind of going against the, the lions in this game that maybe haven't in the past few weeks. Now that that's a really good way of framing it, especially with, with that field position advantage and them taking advantage of said advantage. Um, but I, I, yeah, I think that the, the bills, when you put it that way, um, that there is strong, strong chance to, to cover the big, uh, number in this particular matchup. Um, and then, you know, a, a more long-term lions outlook, you know, looking at, at how they've won these, these last three games, you know, how do you see them finishing the season? And, you know, we, we just saw yesterday that, uh, first rounder Jameson Williams, his window to return to practice just opened up. So, you know, we figure that he's going to be uh, up on the field in the next three weeks or so. Um, you know, just give us a, a little state of the 
uh, pulse of the nation for, for the lions here? Uh, yeah, I really don't know, to be honest. It's, uh, I guess a fluid division in the sense that like the, the Vikings have such a big lead and yet look like they could blow it pretty easily. The Packers are middling at best. Uh, the bears are almost as frightening as any of them at this point, which I guess is just, you know, that much more of a testament to how, how wide open the division might be. So, uh, Let's see, they're, they're uh, four and six. If, if the, the Lions somehow come out of this five and six, they all of a sudden be pretty much in the middle of the wildcard conversation, I guess. But uh, uh, A, I doubt they win, and B, uh, it's, it's kind of like even if they eke that out, they only have so much ground to work with. There's, there's only so many places they can go to with this, and uh, – you know, if, if they so much as make a wild card round, it would be a, a big, uh, I don't know if you'd call it a victory exactly because they, they could use like the draft pick uh, equity or whatever, but it, it would be overachieving, certainly. Well, do, correct me if I'm wrong. Do they get the Rams draft pick again this year? Yeah, they get the Rams first rounder, which uh, after last week is looking pretty good. Yeah. It was looking, it was looking pretty good all year, but th- there's like an off chance that they you know, push like top eight, maybe even like top five with that pick, depending on how bad it gets with the Rams. And it, it, it looks pretty bad with the Rams. Yes, it really does. So, you know, that that's a free lottery ticket. And, and you know, the, so therefore like the Lions don't really like have to have that weird conflict that, that fans face where it's like, uh, I love, I love a win, but I, I'd rather get a higher draft pick at the end of the day uh, ty- type of deal. So interesting little, little subtext there with, with them. Uh, still hanging on to the Rams pick because the Rams uh, don't trust themselves in the draft. And we've seen why, because they're bad at it. Um, but I, I hope that's how enlightened they are and how like self-aware they are. But I, I, I don't know if the Rams are, are close to any insight at all. They seem to, they seem to just like, they seem to be racing away from, from like whatever the uh, correct uh, measured response to these conditions is it's like trading two first rounders when you're about to go into a half decade pit. Uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll see though. Uh, they're, they're still week to week. Like they're, they're, they're churning the roster over, inverting their depth chart. Ben Skowernick aside, he's the one, one player they won't reduce the playing time of. Everybody else can, can go straight to the bench as far, as far as McVay is concerned. Let's see how that goes. <laughs> it's, yeah. Bleak. Uh, you know, that, that Saints game this past weekend, uh, did, didn't catch much of it, uh, live, but, uh, boy, um, it's not good. No. It, it's really not. Um, let's go ahead. Let's get our afternoon game on Thanksgiving underway. So we got the Cowboys playing host to the Giants. Cowboys nine point favorites in this one. I believe it was seven on Sunday morning. But I, I think unsurprisingly with, with how Dallas played in Minnesota with just an emphatic drubbing that the win of the weekend, you could argue. Um, I, I think that we, we've seen the line move, and, and correctly so. And I also feel like we knew earlier on in the season that the Giants probably weren't as good as their record suggested, but they kept on winning, and that you know that, that was all well and good. But now they dropped two of their last three, and they're starting to look a little bit more like what, what you would expect they would look like with that roster and with Daniel Jones at quarterback. So I it's a high number, but... And like the Cowboys can be a little bit tough to trust week to week. And we know what their A game looks like, but they don't bring it every time. But even still, 
I, I think the Cowboys could, you know, be be in line to to put a pretty decent whooping on the Giants here. Yeah, it's uh, it's a short week, of course, and they didn't get much for it. But the the Giants gave Saquon Barkley a good amount. I mean, I guess it was only fifteen carries, but uh, fifty six snaps. That's a good workload for for Barkley in a short week. So he's not uh, he's not going to come out sluggish or anything, but he, he probably won't have one of those days where he, he uh, you know, really catches your eye off the first touch where he's just like clearly on another gear from everyone else. Um, and if Barkley is less than, you know, a hundred percent, he, uh, however much he loses, it's like the offense almost loses more. Uh, cause, cause Jones, he's got guts and, and like Dable's calling a good game plan or whatever, but everybody knows that if you, if you stop Barkley, you've pretty much stopped the giants and, uh, Slayton's good, whatever, but no Wandale really does hurt them. I, I know it wasn't, um, it wasn't like a big sample size that Wandale had this year. He had that other injury before he had uh, the ACL tear, but he was doing a really good job. He showed last week, like the kind of the kind of important role he can play when, it, especially when it's like windy or, or for whatever reason, if Jones can't get the ball downfield, it's like having a guy like Wandale there to just sort of bail him out over and over and over if necessary really adds something to the offense and then they really lose something without him, something that Richie James can't get them. So uh, giants are, are legitimately hurting. Uh, Slayton might be able to make a big play. Uh, he Slayton can make a big play for sure. He's a good player. Uh, it's more like Daniel Jones. I don't know what to, what to think about. And uh, you, you kind of hinted at it. Like the, the giants have had a bunch of these overachieving wins, but uh, not many of them have been against this kind of like pass rush, especially maybe none of them have. So uh, like Sam Williams, even is coming on a little bit lately, the, the Cowboys just have so many threats in the front seven. So that even if they don't have Anthony Barr in this game or whatever, whoever else, like they, they just have so many huge fast guys. And it, it's, it's, it seems like the NFL is still kind of reeling to find a way to adjust to that. Like Dan Quinn kind of uh, is, is, staying ahead of the adjustment curve pretty well so far this year. No, he, yeah, he absolutely is. Um, yeah, that's just a, a crazy amount of speed and talent that, that Dallas has up front and, you know, Daniel Jones for his own part can, can run around, but eventually you're probably going to run into one of Micah Parsons or someone else. And it, it Dallas has fast well. linebackers too. It's like everybody in that front seven, it's like, you don't see Leighton Vander Ash showing up that much, but you forget that even a guy like him can really, uh, get to the corner pretty quickly so uh, they just got they have so much pursuit personnel it's it's just crazy yeah I, I think so as well so where are we at with this one we we liking the the Cowboys to to cover even if it's a short week I I guess I do I I, I, I don't feel any conviction about it I'm just kind of like deferring to the the Dak versus Daniel Jones advantage and the, the Dallas pass rush uh, just looking like generally one of the stories of the year um but I, I don't mean to underestimate like especially dable no of course of course not uh but you know there, there are just realities in place with, with dallas versus versus the giants in this particular spot where I feel pretty good about dallas as far as like if you're playing the two-game dfs slate um you know where, where are you kind of uh trying to settle in on on targeting certain guys for, from this particular game I guess it warrants watching. Um, see, Dallas should just have the dome up. I guess uh, as long as they do, there's no weather. Um, 
I feel like it's going to be kind of tough to stay away from Dak on DraftKings. He, he's 1,800 less than Josh Allen, who, uh, like we were talking about before, might not be, you know, 100%, might not be that close to 100%. So that's a tough one. Uh, I still think I would try to get Josh Allen, hoping that the higher cost kind of keeps his, uh, you know, the ownership lagging from whatever we would normally project with Josh Allen playing against the Lions in in Detroit. Like, I think in Detroit, is that, does that mean they're going to be playing two weeks in a row in that uh, place? Yeah. That's a... Uh, Maybe that may, maybe that means like the short week effect isn't quite as pronounced. I don't know. Um, I don't believe they stayed there though. Oh, they didn't. Okay, man, that's crazy. They uh, turned their nose up at staying in Detroit to go back to Buffalo. Bunch of snobs. Yeah, they could have. They would have been all stars in the Upper Peninsula if they just hung around. Like even though they, even though they're the enemy team, those people would have been so happy to. Uh, see uh the big strong men in, the, in their towering <laughs> uniforms uh I, I think uh yeah i would try to get josh allen i guess the saquon question is it's what pops uh, goes to the top of, of the list after allen and at eight thousand on the short week i don't know my, my, my first instinct is i guess to, to try to make it work without barkley if i need to but that of course is always kind of like a nauseating proposition, especially on a, on a short slate. Like with, with him and Dalvin, there's a big drop-off to – I know Pollard's had the big game, uh, a few big games in a row, uh, but the, there's a pretty big – a substantial workload drop-off, if nothing else, between Barkley and, and Cook. Cook at 7,400 and then Pollard at 6,600. But I, I think Allen might be a priority for me. Okay. All right. That – that definitely checks out. And I, I think that any time that where you have the short slate and you have the, the quarterback that is that high elevated salary wise o- over the rest of the field, that, that usually keeps, keeps things pretty in check. And, you know, you, you do have good like option B's, you know, wh- whether it is Dak Prescott or, um, or Kirk cousins, even if you're playing the all day. Um, so well said there. And, and speaking of Kirk cousins, why don't we go ahead and, and dive into that Vikings uh, versus Patriots game. So the Vikings, you know, by contrast, are, were the ones on the receiving end of, the, of that Dallas game this past weekend. And, uh, you know, I, I think I was starting to to eat the cheese a little bit uh, on the Vikings. I was starting to, you know, after that Bills wins, maybe there really is something here. I've been doubting them all along, but but maybe, maybe this is uh, what's going on here. But uh, no, um, I don't think they're quite as bad as, as what they showed on Sunday. But at the same time, you know, that they obviously have some flaws. And we, we know Kirk Cousins' primetime uh, appearances are littered with uh, tough results. So we've definitely seen that. But I think the Patriots stink. I, I just don't think they're very good. Um, so I, this this game is kind of putting my brain in a pretzel a little bit. Yeah, it would be a little easier for me to pick the Patriots if it was in Foxborough. But being in Minnesota, uh, that... I'm not going to say that hurts the Patriots, but it, it definitely uh, insulates the the Vikings offense, especially a little bit like Kirk Cousins on the road to Foxborough. You'd, you'd start to feel pretty nauseous about that, I think. Whereas at home, it's not that you feel great about it, but you, you don't you don't consider it like a foregone loss. Exactly. Uh, I don't know, though. It's It's tough for me to think this one through because. I mean, for a lot of reasons, I, I don't even know what I think about the Patriots. Uh, in most senses, is I, I know they've gotten good defensive results. I can't tell how much of that is from them being good versus it just kind of 
playing Zach Wilson and uh, whatever. There's, there's been a couple other stink. Oh yeah. They played the Jets twice. Um, and then there was another stinker too. I feel like uh, I, th- I think the Patriots defense is probably pretty good. And the, the, the sooner they put miles Bryant on the bench, I didn't see if they did in the last game, but uh, if they put him on the bench, get his snaps to uh, Jack Jones, have Jack Jones, Jonathan Jones. And uh, uh, I don't like Jalen Mills, but it's still better than miles Bryant. Uh, that defense, and if Kyle Duggar can get healthy, it, I know that they lost Barmore though, so that that was that was a big loss. He was he was kind of like their main guy aside from Judon in the front four. Uh, I don't know. It's these teams are are just both kind of bad to me. I know that the, it, it seems stupid. It probably is stupid to say that the Vikings at eight and two are actually bad. I just feel like they they, they have like a clearly fraudulent record, and every single time I've watched them this year closely, I, I mean. Uh, I, I haven't watched every single game of theirs as as closely as some of the others, but uh, every time I've watched closely, I've just been consistently disappointed with them, and especially Kirk Cousins. Uh, looking at this, there's just the the budgeting of their offense. Like KJ Osborne is killing them. Uh, they just kind of they just kind of I guess banked on that Hawkinson trade solving that problem of the the, the middle of the field pass catcher returns. Irv Smith was doing nothing uh, before he got hurt. I feel like there's some kind of systemic issue, like like Cousins just can't execute these middle of the field concepts that this offense has designed, and so the Vikings are kind of just forfeiting in the middle of the field this production that Kirk Cousins used to actually be able to set up pretty well in the past. Like KJ Osborne, uh, he didn't have great efficiency last year, but he was totally fine. And then right. this year he's doing he's doing like 4.4 yards per target and catching like 50 percent of his targets and still getting a pretty high number of targets. Like that's the problem there is like he's getting a, a bunch of these targets that are just going absolutely nowhere. It'd be one thing if he was just getting a few, uh, you know, dialed up downfield shots a game and was missing them. But he's, he's getting like seven targets a game, catching three to four of those. For like 30 yards, like Kirk Cousins cannot budget a productive game if that's part, if that's, you know, upwards of a, what, like 18% of his, his target allocation. So they have to figure something out about that or else it's just a no go. They, they just kind of suck as long as that keeps happening. Yeah. So that, that's a, that's a rougher, obviously like long-term problem for, for them. In this game, I I just feel like that they'll be able to score enough, and I I just don't think that the Patriots can really score enough. So I I'll, I'll side with the Vikings here. I think last week was pretty sobering for them. I think it was a, a big reality check. Um, but I think the fact that they're at home, like you said, insulating that offense, keeping what they want to do in check, even though, even though what they want to do at least twenty five percent of the time isn't smart. Uh, they still have enough to going Justin Jefferson's way to kind of or Dalvin Cook's way to kind of uh, gloss it over. So I, I will side uh, with the Vikings here. We do have uh, a trade involving one of the players from this game. Uh, Ignatius Pennyfeather. Hello, sir. Um, he says, should I trade CD Hawkinson and Travis Etienne for Stefan Diggs and Mark Andrews? Uh, he also already has uh, Pollard, uh, Kenneth Walker, James Conner, and Damian Pierce. So it feels like he, he's super loaded at running back. Um, I think getting a couple A-listers like Diggs and Andrews makes sense when you're trading you know, from a position of depth like that. Yeah, I think Hawkinson to Andrews is a little bigger of a gain than than CD to Diggs. It's the ETN part. I'm a huge ETN fan, obviously, so I, I have a little trouble 
giving up that, uh, but it, if, especially if it's like a 10 or fewer teams league, I guess the jump from Hawkinson to Andrews could be pretty substantial and maybe maybe worth it as long as you're getting running back points even without ETN. Yeah, so that, that's what I'm thinking. And I think the, the other depth that he has in the backfield, it, it makes trading away Travis Etienne and gaining Mark Andrews, I, I think it makes it all uh, make sense. Um, before we get on over to the Sunday games, we got a message from our friends over at Blue Wire. This Rotowire podcast is brought to you by my favorite meal kit, Factor. I gave Factor a try, and I can tell you firsthand, eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every meal arrives fresh, not frozen, and they're chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. Every week, you'll have over 35 different options to choose from, and there's something for every diet, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto, and there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So what are you waiting for? Get started today and get after those wellness goals. One of my favorite things about Factor is the convenience. We're talking meals that are good to go in two minutes or less. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat wherever you are. There's no prep, there's no mess, no cooking, no cleanup, none of that. It's perfect if you have a busy lifestyle and you can't dedicate an hour plus each day to preparing lunch or preparing dinner. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Factor also offers options for every meal. Pancakes, smoothies, you name it. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, dinner, whatever you need, Factor has it. Factor is also tailored to your schedule, so you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals each week. Plus, you could pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. We've done the math. We've run the numbers over here. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be both nutritious and delicious. Head over to factormeals.com slash rotowire50 and use the code rotowire50. That'll get you 50% off your order. That's code rotowire50 at factormeals.com slash rotowire50 to get 50% off today. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. 
And we've also got a message from our friends over at No House Advantage. No House Advantage is changing the game by offering the most dynamic fantasy sports platform available today, playing pick'em contests versus other people for the shot at winning big cash prizes. Download the app, choose a contest, select your player props, earn points for correct picks, and climb the leaderboard for your shot at hundreds of thousands of dollars every week. You can test your skills versus the house and 20x your entry if you hit all your picks. Bet on up to five player prop over-unders or individual player matchups across every major sports league, including NFL, NBA, MLB, PGA, MMA, and NASCAR. Sign up now with promo code NHAWIRE. That's N-H-A-W-I-R-E at nohouseadvantage.com or download the app on the app stores to get a first deposit match up to $25. Make sure to check out No House Advantage today and experience daily fantasy sports redefined because it's not just how you play, but also where you play. You won't want to miss out on this. All right, Mario, pressing on to Sunday. Let's start things with, with the game of the day as it were. Panthers, Broncos, Carolina, go. Uh, neither of these teams is very good, John. Um, don't really know what else to add. Uh, I, 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 I like the Denver defense a lot more than the Carolina defense, but if Deontay Foreman's given the space to accumulate, you know, especially if you're talking like 18 plus carries, you start to worry about the opposing defense almost no matter who it is but uh especially if you're talking to defense that's getting left with a lot of short fields not necessarily getting much help from its own offense you worry about the broncos getting a little bit gassed in that case uh but if foreman can't get to 16 plus carries i, I don't know how the broncos really uh, i don't know how the, the panthers do a whole lot i know pat sertan got beat up by devonta adams last week if that was uh that's one of those things that just happens even for great players, like great players sometimes just don't have good games. And especially when they're facing great players against, uh, you know, facing against great players, one of the great players has to lose and it's not necessarily going to be the same one each time. And it doesn't necessarily mean anything, uh, which one got the better of the other, the most recent case. So Devonte Adams, yeah, he, he beat up on Sertan, but Sertan is still uh, back to, a, a, an extreme concern for whoever he, he's lining up against. And in this case, you would expect it to mostly be DJ Moore. Uh, Terrence Marshall's making things interesting. I still think he's good. Uh, it's just one of those things like, wh- what does it really matter when, when the quarterback is Baker Mayfield, when the, when the Panthers passing game is just kind of as dysfunctional as it is. So uh, there's, there's the Denver defense versus the, the Panthers as a team in its entirety. And it, it's still kind of tough for me to tell which side wins that. Yep. So I, I'm going to side with the Denver defense on this one. Uh, I thought that for the, if there's any like optimism on the Panthers defense, you know, for how they played this past weekend, I thought that had pretty much everything to do with the Ravens being pretty out of sync offensively. I don't know if it was rust. Uh, the, I thought the sequencing you know, the personnel, man, and the play calling, they just, just, Bad, bad offense. Yeah, it was it was terrible. I got up at six in the morning on Sunday to fly to Baltimore to go sit in like twenty five degree wind chill weather. Did not sign up for that and watch the most boring game I think I've ever been to in person. You paid money oh. to be turned into a snow cone and and just sit in it for three hours. Yeah, it's it's like um 
Mr. I got the Mr. Deeds foot now. Uh, or I got the big frostbitten left foot, and someone's hitting it with a fire iron, and uh, I can't feel it. You have the uh, snow piercer arm, but the foot. <laughs> yes, precisely. So uh, that's where I'm at with it. But anyway, so all of that is to say that um, despite Denver losing this past weekend, I feel like they can beat Carolina. I wish that they weren't road favorites, but I, I certainly understand it. Um, you, in games like this, I usually just try to like take the points, but I think the Panthers are just that bad. And I think the matchup within this game where, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of foreseeing a bunch of turnovers from Baker Mayfield. I, I think that that, that alone will basically get it done, uh, as far as, uh, the, the Broncos are concerned. Uh, why don't we keep rolling here? We got Bucks Browns. Uh, this I believe will be the last game. Uh, before Deshaun Watson returns uh, for Cleveland. So we do have the Buccaneers as three-and-a-half-point road favorites. Uh, we've seen the Buccaneers lay an egg on the road a couple times this year against the Steelers and the Panthers. It, do we have another one of those coming, or, or does the bye week fix things for, for Tampa Bay coming off of their win against Seattle? Uh, looks like it's going to be pretty windy in that game. Uh, you're talking like 19, maybe 20 mile per hour uh, base winds, which probably talking like 40 mile per hour gusts. So at once, Tampa Bay will probably need to run to win, and yet they they should be able to do that. Uh, they, they should be, I should say, they should be able to run for their own part. Uh, Fournette, I think, will probably be that guy. I know they gave up that usage to Rashad White last week, but uh, he wasn't actually any good he had that one run uh where it was basically just terrible defense uh that he that he peeled off like the 28 yarder or whatever uh but other than that play Fournette was clearly more effective and i i, I have to think his uh visa uh limbo might have had something to do with with how they game plan things because it's like if they if they if they went into that game uh just you know all in on Fournette and he's just not there they would they would look kind of stupid for it. So uh, I think Fournette takes back over the the lead in that backfield because he's just better than Rashad White. And I, I like Rashad White enough, but uh, it's probably just a rotational guy. It's probably no big deal. He, he could be good in this game, but uh, Fournette I, I think still has has the lead there. They both could be productive, especially if that wind makes it difficult to, to produce. I just don't think the Cleveland run defense can show up against any offense in the NFL. Like they're just they're just so bad. And uh, Joe Woods is going to get fired soon. Maybe, maybe this is when it happens. Maybe, maybe if on a day that Tom Brady can't throw for 180 yards, uh, Leonard Fournette and, and Rashad White will combine for like 250 or something like that. And uh, maybe that'll be that for Woods. But what's harder for me to wonder uh, to think through is is like what happens with Chubb versus the the Tampa Bay run defense because the Tampa Bay run defense uh, has struggled a little bit this year. You might have been able to, especially given the injuries that they've dealt with, you might have been able to project that, and then maybe they lost something with Ndemokong Su being gone. Uh, but when Akeem Hicks is healthy, I, I doubt that's the case. So I still expect the Tampa Bay run defense to get better, or rather post better results. As the year goes along, it's just tough to tell, like, can you, do, can you start to correct your anomalously high uh, rushing yardage allowed figure against Nick Chubb? Uh, it seems like even if you've had bad luck, you might keep having bad luck that way. 
No, that that that, that absolutely could could end up uh, being the case there. Um, yeah, we'll we'll see what what happens with that Browns offense and and yeah, the the Bucks defense being as banged up as, as it was. You know, they gave up 200 rushing yards and one half to to the Ravens, but uh, I think maybe they'll be a little bit healthier coming off the bye, be able to slow it down a little bit as far as Cleveland is concerned. We got some breaking news, Mario, and it's reasonably well-timed. I would have appreciated this if, if Shefty could have broken this 10 minutes ago before we got into the, the Panthers game. But Sam Darnold will be your starting quarterback for the Carolina Panthers. And Mario is elated, folks. If you're not watching the live stream, you're missing out. Uh, I was hoping we'd see Sam before the year was over. And why not Why not during the holidays, very specifically, John? Uh, it's, it's a gift that keeps on giving. The timing couldn't be better, although... Rather, like, uh, as long as he's the starter through uh, the new year, the timing couldn't be better. If, if they're going to bench him, I'd rather they, they start him next week and, and have him still starting during, uh, you know, the Christmas days mm-hmm. <laughs> before they bench him again. But uh, to be serious, he look, I know that uh, EPA and then uh, so-called Baldwin and all those people were saying that Baker Mayfield was a top five quarterback or whatever uh, the three years prior to last but he wasn't. He just sucked. He was just terrible. And uh, their their stupid fancy stats were just wrong, uh, no matter how many degrees they put into it. So uh, Baker Mayfield sucks, and Sam Darnold probably sucks too. But uh, th- there is a pretty good chance that Darnold is better than than Mayfield. This this you know extremely low bar we're talking. It's it's just not that high. It's not a it's not that hard for any given player to reach it. And Baker Mayfield is so bad. He's so bad. I know Darnold is probably so bad too, but Mayfield just sucks. He has nothing at all. And and Darnold at least has the excuse of never having played behind an offensive line half as good as what Mayfield had in, in Cleveland and let alone Odell Beckham, uh, et cetera, et cetera, Nick Chubb, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, Darnold's probably going to keep doing bad, but he he's probably better than Mayfield, who just sucks. Yeah, I, 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 again, like you established, it's a low bar, but uh, I think think Darnold might clear it. Um, let's keep rolling. Um, let's hit Ravens Jags down in Jacksonville. Ravens four point favorites in this one. Uh, yeah, I, I have trouble thinking this one through because. Uh, there's certain ways you can imagine the, the Jaguars offense doing well. It's just that it's always a very narrow path and it's always like two players, particularly it's obviously Travis Etienne uh, and then Christian Kirk lesser extent, Evan Ingram can, can pop up from time to time. But if you're the, if you're the Ravens, I don't know why you wouldn't put Marlon Humphrey on Christian Kirk every single play because uh, Zay Jones he might be a passable wide receiver three, but as a wide receiver two, as the Jaguars use him, he's very overexposed. Uh, he's, he's profoundly limited. He's, it's so bad for the structure of the Jaguars offense. It's so hard on Trevor Lawrence that Zay Jones is an outside specialist receiver who is an underneath specialist. Like he can't function in the slot underneath. He can only line up outside and he can only run underneath from that look. So, he at once can be pretty good at that one thing, but if you're the defense, you know he that, that that's the only way he can hurt you. Like you, you don't have really much reason to care about the other ways. If he beats you downfield, it was probably just a dumb luck kind of thing, not worth 
rearranging your whole scheme, your whole game plan. And it's kind of like worth letting him go. It's worth cutting him loose underneath. Uh, if the trade-off is you, you can shut down Christian Kirk down the seam and, and even Evan Ingram down the seam in exchange for making Trevor Lawrence throw six passes upwards of, you know, eight to ten passes to say Jones, this guy who at most can plausibly give him, give Trevor Lawrence like seven yards a target and usually less than that even. So if they leave Marlon Humphrey on anyone other than Kirk, Kirk can beat whoever that other corner is, but as much as I'm high on Kirk relative to most people, uh, he's not beating Humphrey, not, not more than, you know, like it would take Humphrey making a mistake basically for Christian Kirk to get the better of him. And that's not, that's not me bashing Kirk or anything. It's just like Humphrey's probably like a top eight corner. Christian Kirk's probably like a top 25, top 20 receiver. It's like, he's, he's a good player, but you don't want him running against a great player. And if you're the Jags, Humphrey neutralizing Kirk, means the whole offense just kind of sucks right there. The only way they get anything going is from short fields, time of possession advantage. Uh, with Roquan Smith there, you don't like ETN as much as you would have like a month ago. I, I think the Ravens have it uh, from the defensive side. And I, I think Trevor Lawrence is uh, kind of – Trevor Lawrence is aggressive. He, he does, he's very ambitious as a passer, even though he doesn't have the tools to, to, to uh, execute – these, these throws that he has in mind, he still goes at it every time he thinks he sees it. So uh, I think the Ravens win, but again, it's it's probably going to be ugly. Uh, they'll get better results on offense than they did last week uh, yeah. just because you can't do that badly every single week unless you tried. And even then you might screw up and accidentally get a longer, get, get like a 20 yard run someplace in there. Uh, so I think the Ravens win, but they still suck. I mean, their offense is not serious at all. Greg Roman is not a serious offensive coordinator. They they are not a competitive team. It hurts when you say things like that, but you know what? It's it's hard to argue when you have three same points story going. for years, man. It's just same idiots have the same jobs forever. Nothing's going to change. Yeah, it's it's not great. Uh, you know, Ronnie Stanley gets hurt this past yeah, weekend. That's, that's real bad too. That that was scary to see, especially with everything that he's been through with that ankle. And, uh, you know, I will say defensively, the Ravens look like a Ravens defense. Like they, they've really started to come. They've come a long way since September. Roquan's a star. I mean, I know there, there's, again, those those uh, Pinkerton analytics people who, who believe like every linebacker is bad because yeah, every it's, linebacker. it's the same same uh, thought process. It, they're they are the running backs of the defense and, and therefore yeah, they must be extinct yeah, they're, they're very simply categorically opposed to all linebackers because each linebacker presupposes the playing time of a running back. That's the, the, the defensive analog to the running back. So they're against it because if you say that a linebacker is valuable, you implicitly acknowledge that a running back might be valuable, which is like the absolute most offensive thing you could you say. Can't, you can't say that. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, but uh, Kyle Hamilton did get hurt on Sunday. We'll see if, what what's up with him for this week. Um, I will say... As someone who was very concerned with how he looked early in the season, he's starting to look like he's figuring things out as well. Yeah, uh, he has certain limitations, basically the speed, the downfield coverage, downfield man coverage, especially limitation. But if you're you're keeping him either in the slot, like underneath coverage, or if you're you're only putting him at safety and you're only giving him the center field coverage on a shorter field, like you know, you know your own 40-yard line or closer – uh, the speed 
can only show up so much. It can only hurt him so much, and his his skill set otherwise seems pretty solid. Yeah, no. So I I, I like it. I, and uh, you know, McDonald I think is starting to to figure things out. Uh, as I mentioned uh, last week, the, as a defensive coordinator at at this level as well. So I, I like the Ravens in this spot. But yeah, I have long term concerns about about the offense, of course. As well, and then final thought: the Ravens have been good on the road this year for the most part. Um, I think they've only lost one game on the road also, against the Giants. The, the Jags have benched uh, Devin Lloyd, that terrible linebacker that Trent Baalke drafted. But um, even with him replaced with Chad Muma, the other linebacker that Baalke drafted, the, the the Jags have been kind of prone to to like assignment errors. Like they kind of spring big plays on defense, even though they they got some pretty good players. They kind of just leave guys open or just don't defend a gap stuff that you really can't do against Lamar in particular. Yeah. So that, that could be an issue. We could see some big uh, Lamar runs. There's a big Lamar run on, on Sunday that I think got called back for an un, very unnecessary holding on, on uh, James Prochet. If I remember correctly, he's bad. I will say he's, that much. He's just off. him. I know Demarcus Robinson had the good game, but like, Dude, he was cooking. He was cooking. It's just one of those things, like, that's the degree to which the defense doesn't respect him. Like, we know from the rest of his career that he just can't do that unless they're not paying attention to him. Uh, Devin DuVernay and Mark Andrews doing nothing. We'll see. Uh, Andrews will get going in this game. The question is, like, does someone else also get going? It could be Robinson because he he lives off of busted coverages and the Jags, like I was saying, they, they, they just screw up their zone coverages about as reliably as anybody. The perfect storm, as it were, for, for another D-Rob game. We love it. Um, let's keep rocking. We got Dolphins, Texans. Dolphins, depending on where you're looking, 12-point favorites or 13-point favorites against the hapless Houston Texans. Yeah, it's it's real bad with Houston. Don't know what else there's to say. I mean, um, I kind of don't trust the, the Dolphins to cover 12-and-a-half just because it's – a lot and uh i don't think the defense is good exactly it's just kind of more like an acknowledgement of how bad the houston offense is but um if houston plays a little bit better than usual in offense like they could kind of cover that even if even if miami offense is is as good as they should probably will be but uh yeah houston's really bad it's not going to be a competitive game i don't think I think the the I, the cherry on top for me is just like how bad the Texans' run defense is. So in addition to Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle probably having a field day, like we could also see Jeff Wilson and Raheem Mostert like crush like on top of it, and the, the, and this becomes a situation where the Dolphins almost get to the total by themselves. Yeah, it should be a good Jeff Wilson game. The uh, Houston run defense is awful. And yet, because they need to still, even then, be mostly concerned with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, like they're probably not going to be able to add that much help to the run defense. So, uh, I don't know. It's it's hard to see why the Dolphins wouldn't score points like in every quarter of this game. Yeah, I, I think so as well. Um, on the Houston side of things. You know, Damon Pierce has the the dud of a game against Washington this past week. Do we think he gets back going? Uh, Is he not necessarily playing himself out out of being like a fantasy starter, but whereas he at at one time was 
a slam dunk. You're not even thinking about benching him for someone else. Maybe you consider it at all, or, or are you still riding with him? Well, I think the bad results in the, the Washington game were just, or, or mostly anyway, were the result of the matchup. Like the Washington run defense has been good all year. Whereas uh, the Dolphin, the Dolphins' run defense has also been good, but um, it definitely get, they've given up twice as many rushing touchdowns as the Washington defense on about uh, twenty fewer carries. So uh, the Dolphins are allowing three point seven yards per carry versus Washington's four point zero. But I think when you adjust for the touchdown, the field positioning, they're they're basically about the same. Uh, that that means it's probably a pretty tough matchup again for Pearson, especially as long as. Uh, Davis Mills is struggling this way. Defenses can kind of just sell out against the run against Houston and maybe not get penalized at all. So it, it looks like another tough matchup for Pierce. And uh, with that said, I think you you worry more about like the game flow. Uh, not that Houston really has any reason to take Pierce off the field. It's just that his pat his target returns have not been very good. I'm not blaming him for that. I think it's just the Texans passing game is so dead. It's like whoever gets the targets is going to kind of look bad, look like they're they're playing worse than they actually are. Uh, it's the rushing attempts the where Pierce is giving the reliable returns, and I don't know if he's going to, I don't know if the, the Texans are going to be able to give him more than like twelve in this game. Right. Yeah. The, this one could get away from them, and and you know the, then we have a, a tough game, fantasy wise for 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 Damian Pierce, of course. Um, let's continue but before that uh let's grab another message from one of our sponsors uh we got a message from our friends over at Stathead. it's easy to find derrick henry's statistics from this year with a quick google search and a visit from to a pro football reference you can see that he's rushed for over 900 yards and nine touchdowns but that raises more questions how many other players have hit that mark through nine games how many did it at henry's age to answer those questions, there's StatHead. StatHead is your all-access pass to Pro Football References database. In StatHead, you can compare up to six player stats side-by-side side to determine who to start, who to sit, or you can dig through advanced stats to find the perfect player to add off waivers. There is an array of simple tools that unlock an endless number of search options, all using the same easy-to-use interface that you already know from Pro Football Reference. Plus, StatHead lets you Browse Pro Football Reference ad-free. Sign up with this promo code ROTOWIRE for $20 off an annual subscription to StatHead. And we also got a message from our friends over at NKF. Football is officially back on Monkey Night Fight with all the NFL action you're looking for. And if college is more your speed, they've got plenty of that too. I was on that show earlier today, a little combo, myself, Nick Whalen, talking NFL, talking college, pretty good stuff on Monkey Night Fight. There's no sharks, no salary caps, and no math. That's the best part. It's easy to play, easy to win daily fantasy player props. Join now at monkeyknifefight.com, and you'll get your first game free. Then use promo code RWNFL to get your first deposit matched instantly up to $100. So what are you waiting for? Join Monkey Knife Fight today. All right, onward. We got a game where we don't know who's playing quarterback for either team. But my mustache looks really red with the the sun going. Um, <laughs> uh, your your mustache and no other part of you is super saiyan right now. <laughs> it's glow. I mean, that's that's usually the uh, the the part that you would think is super saiyan is the mustache. Um, it, it has it has powers unto its own. Um, that said, we got the Jets, we got the Bears. Um, 
Justin Fields banged up left shoulder. We got Zach Wilson fully healthy, just very bad. What's going on here? Uh, yeah, the Jets, I think, are going to, I don't know, maybe not in this game. Maybe maybe the short week gives Zach Wilson another game. And, hell, I mean, the, the Bears' defense is so bad slash so deliberately tanked that maybe even Zach Wilson could produce against it and buy himself another week yet. But if this was a if this wasn't a short week or uh, sorry if, if this wasn't a short week at all, I, I mean I guess we'll see pretty soon what the what the Jets are going to do. But I, I I don't know how they stay with Zach Wilson. Like I I feel like they have to bench him, and so uh, I suspect they're going to go to Flacco eventually. To me, the question is when. And uh, I don't know if this if I I, I was. I was looking at the at the wrong like alignment in my tab just now, so I, I confused that for a Thursday game. But if this had been a Thursday game, I'd feel more confident about Zach Wilson remaining the starter just because they didn't have as much time to implement the change. But why would they leave him in the starting lineup when they have the full week to get Flacco in and they they still could compete for the you know freaking division title? I don't think they would get it. I, I don't think they plausibly have much of a chance actually, but. They definitely have no chance if Zach Wilson's the quarterback. So if you're looking at it from Saleh's point of view, I don't even see how it's a question. Like the, Nobody is in Zach Wilson's corner. No one other than the uh, founder of JetBlue cares about Zach Wilson at this point. Everybody other than that uncle or what grandpa or whatever of his thinks that he sucks. And he does. He's terrible. And he, as we saw like the, from that interview after the game, he doesn't even seem to believe that he seems to think like oh everybody else is screwing up i'm doing a great job so uh no one likes a billionaire's nephew no one likes a, a snotty you know jimmy clausen type of kid that's exactly what zach wilson is and he's so bad he's so terrible he's, he's good at nothing <laughs> at all as far as quarterback play goes so just try to imagine how irritating it would be to have to look at him so much as you know not low i actually have to play alongside him if you're the Jets, this team that otherwise has, you know, they have a lot of things going wrong, even aside from Wilson, but it's mostly injury related. Like their defense is good enough that the defense alone has them in the playoff conversation. And maybe that's just because the rest of the league is so bad this year, but it's still the case. And so you have like an almost playoff team. Otherwise, and you have to look at this snotty rich kid who just sucks and is killing you every week. He's just killing you. And you have to look at a stupid, arrogant face. And, and you have to you have to just like go and bust your ass just so he can screw it up for you anyway. It would wear on you eventually. You'd speak up eventually. I'd, I'd imagine uh, those people have already spoken up, and yeah, it's got to be Flacco pretty soon. I, I guess uh, you know, like, like I said, the Bears' defense is terrible. Wilson could get himself another week if he plays in this game, but that just makes it that much more the case that like the the Jets really have to bench him before this game, uh, especially if they're going to let. Uh, a decent game against, you know, a bottom three defense be justification to drag it out another week when they just, they already have enough reason to, to believe like there's nowhere to, there's nowhere to go with this. No, the, the, the Hayes pretty much almost all the way in the barn as far as knowing what Zach Wilson is. I don't think it's getting much better. I, I love that Jimmy Clausen uh, comparison. And uh, I don't think I've ever flown JetBlue. I think it's JetBlue. I can't remember. His like uncle or something was like the founder of JetBlue, who has a, a incidentally has like a, a team airline sponsorship with the Jets, and they um 
you know, as soon as they had that second pick announced, they were just like, yeah, we're taking Wilson. They just leaked it to everybody. They're like, we're not even looking at everybody. Else. We're not looking at any of the non-Lawrence players. Justin we're Fields. We're taking Wilson. Yeah. Yeah, it would have been a little bit better if they had took Justin Fields, one could argue, or anybody else. Like, literally it, almost any other player in the draft would be uh, better than Zach Wilson has been. It's yeah, it's it's pretty wild, and it and it's got to be extremely frustrating if you're a Jets fan to have a defense that's as awesome and young as it is, and your offense is going to let you down every single week, and there's no Brees Hall to, to save them anymore either. Um, so it's just tough all around. I'm I'm taking the Bears to to cover. Um, I but think again, Fields will be able to play. I think he's fine. I don't know. It's a tough matchup, but I think. You know, not throwing shoulder. Who cares? Yeah, exa- that's what I'm thinking. Uh, just uh, you know, hopefully he doesn't lower that that left shoulder and and then he hits. But then you got to lower your throwing shoulder. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. But uh, feeling okay about the Bears in this spot with four and a half. Uh, let's get on to what what is not sarcastically probably the best game of this weekend. We got the Titans and the Bengals a rematch of the AFC divisional round. From last year, where the Bengals bounced the then number one seeded Titans, and the Bengals are favored on the road in this spot. So Tennessee continues to just not get the respect. Um, every single week, they seem to be dogs against teams that I feel like they're going to beat. But your thoughts here on on the Bengals going down in Tennessee? Yeah, the Bengals are really confusing to me. I don't, I don't really understand why much of their season has gone the way it has. Like they, they showed some. Real, you know, uh, certainly grit, maybe even progress with with how they played against Pittsburgh, but it was still kind of like an ugly game. Like they they did a lot better than they did in week one, obviously, but it was still sloppy. And and the Steelers are terrible. It's like just because just because the Steelers were cause for the Bengals to be worried doesn't mean that the Steelers are any good or that it's like a good sign that the the Bengals had to be so worried about them. Like it's 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 not good if you're if you have like Super Bowl aspirations and you can barely beat a team like the Steelers and and that's where the Bengals are even though it's a big improvement from where they were in week one so uh I'm I'm leery of the Bengals I, I don't really I don't really know how how to sift through all the, all the considerations here especially when so many of the Bengals' issues kind of relate to just kind of being um not soft exactly, but just kind of not having aggressive enough of game plans almost, especially on offense. Uh, Zach Taylor has done a better job lately than he did to start the year, to be fair. But you just you know a Vrabel team is always going to come out and just just play like a bunch of cavemen. And I don't know if, if the Bengals are, are really well suited to that kind of just like, just, you know, in the mud kind of playing style that the, that the Titans – you know, take every, every one of their opponents almost into. And, uh, I don't know. I don't want to under, I don't want to like not give enough credit to the Bengals, but I'm just kind of worried about them as long as that's the case. So I will say none of, none of the Titans corners are particularly well suited to defending a guy like T Higgins and, uh, not to skip Boyd, like Boyd could have a fine enough game too, but, just as you saw Christian Watson, particularly that one, uh, the first touchdown that he scored last week when Christian Fulton was on him in the end zone and Christian Fulton was on him, like Christian Watson had no separation or anything, but because Christian, Christian Fulton is a uh, sub six foot corner who has, uh, he's probably like average speed, 
and he has way below average reach. Like his arms are pretty short. So are Roger McCreary's. That's really bad to, if, you, if those are your traits and you're trying to stop T Higgins. Yeah. So, <laughs> Higgins should be good. It's just kind of like, can Jeff Simmons single-handedly take apart the, the, the drops that Burrow tries to, tries to get through before he throws it to Higgins. And I, I really I don't want to skip the possibility of Simmons just totally taking over that game, especially with the Bengals having so many offensive line problems the past couple of years. But it's like if he doesn't, I don't know how the Titans slow down Higgins at all. Yeah, no, that that's a great call on on the Higgins side of this. I might have to uh, maybe just as a one off play in, in DFS this weekend get some Higgins at T Higgins. I don't know if I'd stack Higgins. the Bengals, but uh, I like the I like the what you're putting down as far as his matchup uh, against the Titans. But yeah, Jeff, Jeff Simmons, scary guy, would not mess with Jeff Simmons. Um, and then on the Titans side. We finally get to talk about this guy. Uh, it feels like for the first time since training camp, uh, Traylon Burks got asked some questions about him on, on the radio earlier this week. Do we buy that last week was some sort of breakout or was that just sort of a, a strange confluence of events, mostly having to do with the Packers? Well, it was definitely a good sign. It was definitely a, a, an encouraging you know, data point. For Burks and his trajectory, especially given some of the struggles, disruptions he's had uh, that he had prior to that point, I don't know how much of his production occurred within base play call function. Like, I don't know how many of those targets that he got were sort of the organic result of Tannehill working through his reads versus scripted plays that were basically designed to get targets to Burks specifically. Uh, it's not bad per se when a team is, I mean, it's, it's, it's encouraging as it relates to the intentions of the Titans offense that they were specifically trying to get Burks going. But if those were dialed up targets, then it's, it's just the kind of target uh, return that you would soonest project for uh, regression, because it's kind of like if, if the defense adjusts and if the defense gets the scent for these dialed up targets and they, they, you know, accordingly, sit on that if they dial up their own coverage to to counter that that's that's a lot easier to turn into an incomplete pass than a play where the the defense is maybe thinking like you know a little bit about woods a little bit about hooper a little you know a little a little bit more about henry maybe even uh and and if if they start to notice that burks gets these targets at these certain alignments these certain depths these certain situations they'll start to notice that and, and, and kind of just step in front of some of these throws that maybe were otherwise open. So uh, I'm not saying that's definitely what was happening. It's just that if that was what was happening, then, then Burks is going to have to kind of like, you know, bear down and, and get through maybe a, like a tougher version this next time around. But if Tannehill was getting to Burks just through like, you know, the incidental running of those progressions, then that, is even more encouraging because it shows that they weren't specifically trying to get him the ball, but they were anyway. And, you know, with, with really good results. So uh, I, I, I don't know which way to call it. I, I do think Burks's talent, his, you know, athletic talent, his skill set have always been evident in his college production at Arkansas. His, his production was always really good at Arkansas. Uh, the issue at Arkansas, the reason he fell to the 18th pick, the reason he, surprisingly went later than Jahan Dotson 
and uh, whoever else was that he was not considered polished. Like he apparently right. needed, he needed reminders about like where to line up and what route he was running at Arkansas and something like that uh, preceding the whole uh, conditioning test. You know, the, the thing about Vrabel kind of just talking about how when he, when he can do more, we'll have him do more, whatever, you know, that, that kind of stuff. It, it was, it was not great to hear at the time, but it also, uh, it, it meant that, if Burks corrected whatever preparation details he wasn't getting right, there would at least be the possibility open for, for him to break out. Like some guys just have no shot at all, but Burks had that shot as long as that was the case. And he seems, you know, knock on wood to be maybe turning a corner there. So if his preparation catches up to his talent level, it's hard to see what would be holding him back at that point. Yeah, I, I think so as well. I I didn't touch him in redraft this year because I figured the learning curve would be pretty steep for those reasons that you, that you alluded to. But uh, you know, I, it's never that I thought like he did, I didn't understand why he was hyped as a first round guy, like guys kind of ridiculous, but like they, they, you know, he played in an offense at Arkansas where he's only running out of the slot, just getting to bully these nickel corners. Of course it was going to go well like it, but you know, I, I think he'll, he'll end up being good. I don't know how much I'm buying it for the rest of the season. Um, but but, uh, you know, it, it has to be at least encouraging that, that he has a oh, pulse yeah. now. He um, looked really good, too. I mean, in that last game, especially. No, exactly. Um, let's hit a couple of questions here. Abraham wants to know, should I trade Najee and Cortland Sutton for Mixon and Garrett Wilson? He already has Josh Jacobs, Justin Jefferson, Michael Pittman, David Montgomery, Boyd, and McLaurin. Um, I think I probably would, yeah. Really? I mean, uh, I, I think Sutton's a good player, and I, I, I think Najee's, the, the narrative around him is pretty ridiculous, especially as it relates to Jalen Warren. But uh, Mixon is in an off, like he just scored five touchdowns two weeks ago. That's completely off the table for Najee Harris in that offense. Yeah. And um, while I, I think Cortland Sutton's very good, his, uh, not, not to call Garrett Wilson some sort of like, you know, standard of consistency, especially if Zach Wilson keeps playing quarterback for him. But Cortland Sutton has not been able to capitalize on this otherwise substantial usage he's gotten. Like for whatever reason, uh, I would I would suggest the reason is the defense is still singularly identify Cortland Sutton as the biggest concern against the, uh, the the Broncos offense, and basically just start their game plan from the question of like how do we stop him, mm-hmm. and uh, they they can't really hurt you for selling out to stop him. Uh, that's largely true with Wilson too, but it, it's it's not necessarily any worse. And I, again, I think Mixon's clearly better than Harris just for situational reasons. Okay, you fleshed it out well, and uh, frustrated with with the Sutton stuff because I, I have a lot He's of playing Sutton. good. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, I thought he was going to be a league winner this year, but the Broncos. Some of these narratives still... about him are ridiculous too. Like people just oh, like, yeah. oh, he must suck or something. It's like, have you seen the Denver Broncos play football? Like. Being good will not save you on a team no, that stupid. No, it, they really do like like the Denver Broncos from the end of that Simpsons episode where Hank Scorpio gives Homer uh, the, the Denver Broncos and they're just throwing the ball around on his front yard, all, all nimbly pimbly like. Um, onward. Uh, one more question here from Ishan. Uh, should I trade ETN and Chubb? Uh, for Tyreek Hill in full point PPR already has Camara, Stevenson, and Pollard. 
Uh, I'd say no, not not to cut off the pursuit of Hill, but they should be able to give you more. And there's another one, Hill for Chubb, Ramondre, and Hollywood Brown. That's a little easier for me, but not much. And I also have, I, I'm out. I'm like out of the loop on the Marquise Brown situation. Like I, I didn't think he had any shot of playing in this most recent game, but I also didn't expect him to play at all this year again after that injury. So if mm-hmm. if, if Marquise Brown comes back next week, I would you know kind of regret that advice even. Yeah, good point. So so tricky, but I don't know. Sorry, Stan Pat. Yeah. Um, all right, got a few more games to hit here. Uh, we got Falcons, Commanders, Commanders, four point favorites at home against the Dirty Birds. What's going on here? Um, I don't know. The the Falcons offense has kind of overachieved relative to expectations all year, but without Kyle Pitts, that's not necessarily on the table anymore. Like as as much as uh, they weren't utilizing Pitts as much as his or, you know, not not realizing in the form of production it's his talent as, as much as some other situations would have. That offense still negotiated all of its productivity, all of its functions from the starting point of the defense, acknowledging Pitts as the primary concern. So uh, the run game for Atlanta has been good all year. Marcus Mariota is kind of overachieved slightly in a way, but that was all happened while Kyle Pitts was playing and now he isn't so I I kind of worry about the wheels falling off at that point like it, it could be good for the productivity of Drake fantasy production I should say of Drake London just because uh he's good and the Washington secondary is not and if Pitts is getting you know if, if, if six to eight targets that might have gone to Pitts are just going somewhere else now London would be your your first and second guess as, as to who claims that but for the broader production of the Falcons, I worry quite a bit here, especially since Washington can probably def- – it is a different thing to defend the run game, particularly as the Falcons run it, versus some other offenses. It's like a totally different game of defense. But Washington has defended the run about as well as anybody this year. So you can't maybe – assume that they just defend the run well against Atlanta, but they still would be kind of like one of the three or five first teams you would think of uh, as far as that, that, that would be able to do it. And uh, if they can stop the Falcons or contain the Falcons run game without selling out to stop the run, then they could even put extra resources to defend the pass and just completely shut down everything the Falcons do. So I would pick Washington to win this game. I I think the Falcons are going to, you know, uh, it's it's gonna get worse without Pitts, basically. Yeah, I, I'm I'm of the same opinion. I think this is a great setup for for Washington. They're playing well right now, and they, they've obviously hit uh, a nice little patch in their schedule, having faced the Texans last week, getting home game against the Falcons. Like, yeah, Washington. I got my eye on them. Uh, with Taylor Heineke, Stan. What can I, I think say? they suck, but uh, they're, they're. You, you think everybody so much- sucks? Well, the, every team does suck except for, like, five of them, but that's just the thing. It's like if your team 7 through 12, you do suck, but you're also in the playoff hunt because everybody else is so bad, too. So the, you, it both things can be true. Um, let's hit cards, chargers. Chargers, obviously, in classic chargers fashion, a valiant effort in a loss Sunday night against the Chiefs. 
Uh, whereas the Cardinals, a little less valiant, uh, I thought last night uh, in the, in their game against the, the Niners, who just pretty much destroyed them. Um, obviously, there are some things going on. You know, you, you have Colt McCoy there as, as opposed to Kyler Murray. Rondale Moore gets hurt early in that game. And the Giant or the Niners just kind of played maybe their best game of the season, most complete game of the season. So it's like, what can you do? Um, but I I still don't trust the Chargers, and I think that they they can play down to their competition. But I think the Cardinals might actually just be that bad to where the Chargers go in and take care of business. Yeah, as much as the Texans are the the first thing people think of when they when they wonder about the worst run defense in the NFL, the Chargers are about as bad. They might they might be as bad or worse actually. So if you're that bad at defending the run, you will let just about any opponent into the you know game, you, even if you even if their quarterback is just some bomb. You with Justin Herbert can blow it if you can't stop that opposing offense from just getting first downs, and and you got to stop the run if you want to you know keep a keep uh, deny the opposing offense the easy rushing base first downs, but also all the things that run games set up in the pass game like you can. You kind of just uh, remove all that uh, if you have a good run defense and if you have a run defense like the Chargers do, you can make any opposing team all of a sudden good at running the ball. And James Conner, I mean, I guess I guess we'll see how he uh, you know keeps holding up or whatever. I thought he looked really good running against the 49ers. It was just kind of like a bad situation, of course, in that offense. But Conner is really, really good. And if the Chargers don't show up in the run defense, he will run on them. Uh, I guess... I guess the one thing as far as like that might be a way that the Cardinals cover or whatever, but I don't think they can win because I feel, I feel like even the Lombardi offense projects really well against the Arizona defense, like the Arizona defense specifically really struggles to cover the middle of the field. And they, they just all year haven't had the corner personnel to run much in the way of like, uh, certainly not press man coverage. Like they just, they can't really play that game. So they have to run kind of conservative zone coverages, which uh, it's still not great for the Chargers and, and Herbert. Like, it, it, but it's just, that's just to say every single scenario is bad for them because their personnel is crap and imbalanced, and uh, they're so slow. If they fall behind, if they have to run a hurry up situation, they just drown. They just they just sink in the sand immediately because they're just so slow, and they just beg every defense they face to tee off the blitz on them because what, what the hell are they going to do? Like, you know, if, is your blitz so bad that you're still going to give Herbert six seconds or however long it takes for his receivers to get 40 yards downfield? Like, it's just, <laughs> it's out of the question. It's, it's ridiculous. You, you blitz because they can't do anything about it. So uh, I, I do worry about Herbert. And I guess, you know, if, if particularly if they get like, you know, Zayden Collins and Isaiah Simmons hot on the blitz, and, and, and catch Herbert by surprise a couple times, cause a turnover or two, especially the Cardinals could win the game because they should be able to run and keep the ball away from Herbert if they do get an advantage. But yeah, I just, I, I think the Arizona defense is, uh, they, they just don't have enough talent at corner. Like they, they just can't really run uh, what we assume, what we've come expecting to believe in NFL defense to look like they're running like a college defense. Yeah, that yeah, it's not not great on the on the defensive side of the ball there in in Arizona, but yeah, the Chargers real clunky uh, as an outfit, which is too bad because uh, Justin Herbert 
one of the most fun players in the entire league to watch. Awesome, awesome player, but uh, held back, obviously, by, by the coaching there. Let's hit Seahawks Raiders. Seahawks three and a half point favorites in this one. Uh, Raiders shocking win uh, against the Broncos this past week. Uh, should the Broncos be forced to be relegated somehow for losing twice to the Raiders? Oh, yeah. I mean, I would, I'd be in favor of the Broncos getting the death penalty uh, just for what they've just, just for what George Patton. Uh, have you, you're not familiar with the Venture Brothers, are you, John? Uh, uh, not, not, not to be like speaking fluently with you. Okay, there's there's this one. Uh, this isn't that big of a spoiler, so if someone has their life ruined by this, I guess I'm okay with that. Uh, there's this one episode where uh, Dean Venture, who's who's one of the two Venture brothers, uh, he uh, it re- it's revealed that he has like a, a botched clone of him uh, living in like the attic of the the science based like research facility that they live in, and um, he looks to dean like this this botched clone it's he's like disfigured and stuff that botched clone relative to dean venture looks the same as george Patton, the denver gm does to jim harbaugh like he looks like a botched clone of jim <laughs> harbaugh who came out like half neanderthal and uh george Patton is a guy who deserves to be like criticized and made fun of more in any case like for what what they've done to albert equigwinham is just so ridiculous, uh, and and they they should uh, George Patton should be uh, forced to live the rest of his days on the moon, and the, the the Broncos should of course not be a football team anymore. And that was Raiders Seahawks, folks. That was Raiders Seahawks. Uh, Seahawks defense. Uh, you would worry about them against Devontae. Everybody, I guess, is uh, should be very afraid of Devontae, especially after last week. Um, but I don't know. It, I, I still worry about Gino having that bad game because he still hasn't had one, but he's he's just been so automatic pretty much every week. I guess it's like at this point I should stop assuming it's ever gonna happen. Yeah, I'm I'm on the Gino train. He's been he's honestly he's been one of my awesome. He's yeah. been he has just not played badly at any point. Yeah, he's uh easily one of the favorite storylines of, of this entire season. Um before we get on to uh the next game here. B Dubs wants to know: Is Kadarius Tony worth keeping on, or holding on to? Yeah, this is probably the worst answer you could have heard. But yes, uh, the the whole problem with Tony is that uh, everything he does kind of doesn't make any sense. And and yeah, the this latest injury, there's no reason to suspect it. I mean, he played uh, his highest snap count usage. The, the results were great. I know the one the touchdown was just a botched coverage, but. He, he played 27 snaps or whatever, and then he gets hurt right away in this last game. So he, he's never going to be healthy, apparently. But if he is, you will regret not having him in the lineup, let alone on your team. Yep. So that, that's just kind of the Dow of Kadarius, as it were. Um, let's hit. Let's stay, stay on uh, the Chiefs, rather. Uh, they are, you know how much they're favored by against the, the Rams this week? 11 and a half. I don't know. Upwards of 15. Oh, 15. Okay. Uh, yeah, they probably should be. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I will say, I guess I, I doubt that the chiefs can run on the Rams defense because, uh, I mean, Pacheco's interesting and everything, but, uh, 
they're they, they just they they don't know what they're doing with their backfield. They're they're getting everything wrong with their backfield. So uh, I think you need to run on that defense to be able to get in most cases to that spread. Uh, Mahomes will be productive almost certainly, but yeah, they, to to keep if only to prevent the back door cover. I feel like you need to be able to run better than the Chiefs are likely to. But yeah, why would why would the Rams beat any other than like five teams in the league at this point? You know, let alone the Chiefs. I I wouldn't, or I'd like to see what Vegas would spit out as a number for like a neutral field Houston versus the Rams. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it'd be like Rams one and a half. Yeah, that's a, I was thinking, yeah, two and a half, something like that. I mean, it's, it's brutal uh, as far as the Rams are concerned. So yeah, they, they have a bottom, they have the worst, especially if you, if you cross off either of Jalen Ramsey and especially Aaron Donald, uh, Cooper Cup obviously is a big loss too, but it's just like with that right there, they just kind of are like the worst roster in the NFL. Yeah, just no, no good players. It's like the top heaviest of top heavy teams and uh, it's just not working out so yet basically the chiefs would need to be disinterested in this game for for it to be and who could blame them for that i mean this, no this exactly they're are boring just, as hell they are and it, it's also funny because you see a spread like this and the total is just 44 so that just kind of goes to show you that it, this is expected to be uh the rams basically not scoring any points yeah i don't i don't want to predict that they'll score a point in this game <laughs> Yeah, I'm out. I'm out on that. Um, so yeah, if you if you can find shutout odds, take a gander. Um, let's go Saints Niners. Uh, Niners nine point favorites at home. Obviously, very impressive game Monday night. Your thoughts? Ah, uh, that seems like a lot of points, but yeah, I, I mean, I think that the 49ers are clearly. Uh, other than the Eagles, I guess you could say Dallas, but uh, it's those three teams in the NFC. There's no fourth team, and I think the 49ers, I mean, I guess they can't get that much healthier at corner. Like, Mosley's just out. Verrett's just out. But, I don't know, if they if they don't have any more injuries, I guess, on defense. If, if Eric Armstead could come back soon, why the hell? He's been out just, like, all year and hasn't been on IR uh, even though I feel like he's been out for like nine weeks in a row or something. Right. Uh, if they get Eric Armstead back and Kinlaw, I don't know what his status is lately, but if they get those guys back. I think the 49ers are for the odds. They're my favorite team to, to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. So uh, I expect them to win here and, and basically to, to, to keep the Saints in hell pretty much start to finish. But the nine and a half, uh, I don't know. That's, I feel like Chris Olave is probably like a really dangerous backdoor cover kind of receiver too. Cause it's like, if you, if you're up uh, 17 points or, or if you're up like 14 points and there's like three minutes left, why would you keep your starters in? And if you put your backups in for prevent, it's like Olave can probably tear right through that. So uh, I don't know about the cover, but the, the, the 49ers should definitely win this one with some amount of comfort of note. The New Orleans Saints are 0-4 against the spread on the road this year. Yeah, uh, that makes sense. I mean, they're just kind of bad, and with, with their home field such a historical advantage, you you would kind of expect them to lose maybe more than most teams when they go on the road. Uh, the eight points is just a little easier than the nine and a half, you know? No, t- totally. Agree Agree with that. And, like, I, I think, you you know, your point's well taken on the Olave thing. It, it's just... 
you know, when, when you see an outlier like that, as far as, you know, spread results, it's, it's a good podcast. But there's something to it. Yeah, there's definitely something to it. Yeah, just wanted to, wanted to toss that out there, enlighten the listeners and the viewers. Uh, if you're viewing this, uh, I forgot to turn a light on in this room and it got dark out. So <laughs> it, it looks like I'm in the posting cave. Um, you are. I, I actually am. This, this is where I'm at. Um, beautiful. Um, anywho, Sunday night game. Packers-Eagles. Eagles, six and a half point favorites in this one. This one is at the link in Philly. Um, th- are the Packers dead? too dead? Or, or also, what was up with the Eagles this past week? I mean, that they barely got out of there with a win. Oh, I, th- I think this is one of those games where it's really good teams sometimes just lose games anyway or have closer games than expected. Uh, and uh, without any of it meaning anything, especially yeah, I mean, we, we saw the Chiefs lose to Indianapolis earlier this year. Like it, it can, you can fall into a trap for sure. Yeah, you can. I mean, it's it, it's not that common of a thing, granted, but you can usually find most years, even like the top three teams, uh, or the Super Bowl winner specifically. Losing to some team that goes like four and twelve, you know, like that that just happens sometimes because it's uh, there's not that many certainties with NFL football, and when you add you know travel and different teams playing different numbers of games in the past uh, fourteen days, et cetera, et cetera, different durability situations, uh, there's a lot of stuff that can get a bit wacky. So I I kind of chalk up that. Uh, Colts game to that thing, and I th- I think that that the the Eagles eventually got it together and kind of ground out the win, uh, including like in that last drive there. I can't claim to know why or how, but it sure seemed like Shane Steichen, the offensive coordinator, was kind of setting up the Colts defense to get their defensive tackles, DeForest Buckner and Grover Stewart, to kind of flush outward on some play. Like they they were running with Miles Sanders in that last drive a couple times, I want to say, and I think they set up something that they they had reason to believe if we run this play, then the the next time we run this look, the Colts are gonna key on this thing, and then Buckner and Stewart are gonna go out instead of staying in the middle where n- normally Buckner and Stewart stay in the middle and they just don't let anybody through. And yet uh, that Jalen Hurts touchdown run to win it, it's like those two ran toward like the tackles for some reason. And it's like Hertz was looking for it. And the second that the, he saw them tilt that way, he, he started running. And it was, it was, you know, maybe it seemed kind of like they barely got there, but it, it seemed like they were like meticulously working toward it. You know, like it, like it wasn't a random outcome. Like it was like they were building toward it and it was like a little bit of a delicate project maybe, but they, they had a plan and they, they, they saw it through and, and everything that they bet on happened. And I think, that they could win that game, even with a lot of other things going, you know, worse than expected is generally something that bodes well for them. It's like they end up in situations that go worse than expected. They have some experience now. They, they know what it's like to kind of work out from that situation and not just, you know, be surprised by it and just shocked and, and, you know, lose the game. Uh, They're learning how to adjust in game. And I think um, with them reaching that kind of, point the, the the Eagles are uniquely dangerous and certainly you know out of the class of whatever the Packers are that was a that was a really good breakdown of, of what happened on the on that last play last, last drive 
impressive stuff uh, as per usual. Um, but no, that was, that was good. That was enlightening. Um, you know, are they going to even have to think close to that hard against Green Bay? Uh, probably not. I mean, the Packers haven't stopped the run all year, so this, this should be uh, – whereas Miles Sanders was kind of grinding out yardage and, and kind of taking some hits to, to set up other looks later for the rest of the Eagles' offense, in this game he should find space on those plays. Yeah, so I, I think this sets up nicely for him on the on the Green Bay side of things. Obviously, the kind of imploded on national television uh, against Tennessee. Tennessee can make that make you look real bad though. That that they don't just beat you; they just kind of like demoralize you too along the way. They jump past uh, touchdown on you, yeah. That that play is very triggering to me. Uh, reminds me of that that playoff game from a couple years you ago. You should just lose. Like when that should be one of those things. Like it's like you know making the eight ball or whatever. It's like that's just game over. Yeah, like a uh, a game breaker from NFL Street Two or or a uh, uh, NBA Street throwing a dinner served on someone to end the game and it's just over. I haven't played those recently enough to, to remember the mechanics of those games, but uh, that's probably the exact uh, thing that I was going for. Yeah. My, my secret sauce was always uh, you get Ronnie Watt, get game breaker on with Ronnie Watt. You just pick the ball off and, and just house it. Then that, that was that Ronnie Watt goaded NFL street two player, but alas, in um, real life, yeah, yeah, got cut off his finger to win win the Super Bowl. That's pretty cool. He's, he was he was also uh, an elite corner before he was the best safety ever. A lot of people forget that. Oh, like the the Rod Woodson. I guess he predated Rod Woodson, but yeah, a little bit. Same. Not but by surprisingly little. They were they were playing at the same time for probably like eight to ten years. Unreal. Uh, love Rod Woodson as well. Um, before we get too off track here, um, let's see. Uh, we got a couple questions here. So this guy already has Josh Allen. Then you're trading Justin Fields for DK Metcalf. He's, he's doing it. Uh, I mean, it's. I'd say it's a gain, assuming your uh, quarter, your, your remaining quarterback isn't some bum. But, yeah, uh, it's, it's Josh Allen. So I think I think that should be fine. That's um, yeah, DK for free. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Jackson wants to know. Uh, would you trade uh, Damian Pierce for Najee Harris? Uh, probably not. Uh, it's, there's a case for it, but I I wouldn't. I wouldn't either. Uh, Pittman or Terry McLaurin starting this week? I think I think scary Terry. Uh, sorry. Uh, who does who does uh, Indianapolis have again? They they have the Steelers, which is our next game. All right. Um. Yeah. I I'd, I'd go with Terry. I think, but it, it's also. It's it's hard to go wrong slash easy to get wrong the question because they're both pretty solid. Yeah, I just I lean McClure and I, I think the ma- matchup might be a little bit better and um yeah the, the Falcons really do have a, a really bad pass defense so I lean uh, with him. Uh, let's unpack that Indianapolis Pittsburgh game as we, as we wind down here. Uh, your thoughts on this game with uh, Indianapolis at home two and a half point favorites. Uh I I have to think, yeah, Colts just because of Kenny Pickett, basically. I mean, unless they bench him, I don't know who they can beat. And uh, going on the road, Colts are pretty, uh, by now especially, you would expect them to be pretty disciplined with the, their zone coverages. It could be, 
more than most games, a game where Kenny Pickett thinks something pre-snap and then gets something surprising post-snap. And those plays in particular are going to be the ones where you see him look like completely outclassed as an NFL player. And uh, he's still having the benefit of, of the book not being quite written on him. Like he's not getting anywhere. He's playing awful, but he's, he's playing awful while the defense is, is uh, still figuring him out, you know, like Mm -hmm. they're going to, they're going to figure him out too yet. And when that happens, everything's really going to fall off a cliff. And uh, I know I've been saying it for a couple weeks now, but Hey, I think it's kind of been happening for a couple weeks now. It's like, it's getting worse every time with Pickett. And there's going to be the, the eventual game where he has, he have, he'll eventually have a box score basically like Zach Wilson had last week. And uh, when that happens, you're going to see like, you're going to see guys just like quitting in the game. And Dr- that, yeah, George Pickens is just going to beat him up. Yeah. The, the, the people, uh, Brian Gutekunst or whatever, however you say his name for the Packers is, is going to be proven right. Uh, in trading two second round picks for Christian Watson just to take him over Pickens because Pickens is going to uh, murder Kenny Pickett <laughs> and uh, go to prison. Uh, well, don't go that far with it, George. Uh, no, George is just gonna he's just gonna like he's just gonna call him like a clown or something. Or, and and he's, he's gonna do that thing where you pretend to punch someone but you don't. And yeah, it makes him flinch and everyone laughs. Yeah, yeah. That, that and that's when good. they'll bench Pickett. <laughs> Oh, they got him with the no balls. Uh, that'd be that'd be Mike Tomlin just loses all respect on the spot for him. Yeah, Tomlin's a. I think I think he's fairly famous for liking these nuts jokes. I'm not totally sure, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think he I think he can get down with it. Um, but I think that, that pretty much puts a bow on it. Uh, I think that's going to do it for 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 our show today. Um, I hope everyone has a great. Thanksgiving out there, uh, Mario. I mean that to you specifically as well. And uh, uh, likewise, yes. John. Thank you, thank you. And uh, that's going to do it for us here on the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast for NFL Week Twelve. Again, presented by our friends over at No House Advantage. Thanks for listening. Try Roadwire today, free for ten days. Get our premium tools, rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit card required. Go to rotowire.com forward slash try. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. 